if you have this turned in the right direction. Well, it's good to see everyone that's made it out. And right before our services began, the two furnaces kicked in. And I don't mind telling you, it's warm up here already. And if it gets too warm, then I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'll shed this coat off. That's right. And we're going to make that happen. We'll take our Bibles this uh, morning and we're going to go to John chapter 1, verse 1. And I want us to uh, get a little bit of an idea. Now, uh, I want to say this to each and every one of you all, if, whether we have those that are in our congregation that celebrates this time of year, the birth of Christ, or if they don't. Let me just say this to you. We have a wonderful opportunity to tell others about Christ. And no matter how we look at it, we should take and spend that time where we can expose Jesus Christ in a very real way to them. You know, for years and years I've heard preachers say, you know, I don't need a special time of year to celebrate the birth of Christ. But uh, I, I celebrate Christ every day of my life, you know, the, his birth every day. And I'm going, well, if that's true, then what else do you study? And you know, the reality is that I think it's a good reminder for us to know that, that the entirety of the first two books of the Bible, or the first uh, books of the uh, New Testament, if you will, Matthew and Luke and John, all talk about his coming deity and how his birth had to occur. And it's so amazing to me that the things that are written in the Old Testament shows the, the fulfillment in the New Testament. We're going to get into that a little bit today. But I want us to look at the first five verses of the Gospel of John. Once again, this is in reference to the coming of Jesus Christ as he came into this world. Notice what it says. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, you know what's interesting is that this verse, these verses, if you will, not only are a good representation of the time that Jesus Christ walked upon the earth, they're also a good representation of today. It's amazing how many people that I walk in and, you know, in reality, they do not see their need of Christ. Let me just kind of give you an example. When I went through seminary uh, many years ago and had the opportunity to go, I remember that one of the questions that came up is, uh, which was more effective, the time of uh, uh, Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2 or Paul's preaching in Acts chapter 17? And I want us to think about this for just a moment. I want you to kind of think about the day and age which we live in. Are we more like the people of Acts chapter 2, or are we living in a time which is more like Acts chapter 17? Now let me explain this to you. Remember this is that Jesus had already marched all across uh, Judah. He had marched all across Galilee. He had already marched all across what we now know as Gadarenes and all the western coast areas, even went into Samaria. And everywhere that Jesus went, he preached the gospel. Others come to see his light, and they knew who he was. So that on the day of Pentecost, when we see the giving of the Holy Spirit, many were saved. Many, many were saved. Very simple message. 
because uh, at that moment, even Peter made the statement. This is shown to you in Joel chapter 2, where it speaks of how that the, the young men will see visions. They will see the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, go in Acts chapter 17, we see a different perspective. You have a pagan society. And in that pagan society, they had many plethora of gods. And in fact, they wanted to make sure they didn't offend any god that was on the face of the earth. And they had one altar to the unknown god. And the Apostle Paul took the opportunity to expose that one God to them, or the one true God, by going to that statement to the unknown God. He is known to us, but he's unknown to you. And reality is, is that when we go into the world, we cannot just say, now Jacob. We cannot say, now Joseph. Now we cannot say the book of Genesis. We have to literally take the very simplicity of the gospel and be able to expose it in such a way that others begin to understand. I remember this is that when I worked in second or here in Huntington, West Virginia, how many people would say, I don't want to hear anything about your gospel? Now, the reason is, is that they were so confused and they had made up their mind what was right and what wasn't right that they didn't want to be confused by the message that I was going to deliver or anything else for that matter. So for us to look at the first five verses of the Gospel of John, we really are getting into something called in the beginning. Let us pray. Father, again, I pray that you will guide and bless us that we might study the Word of God in such a way that we would have a good understanding of the things that are there. Help us, dear Father, to know the truth, and help us, dear Father, to take these things in the hand, that we might understand it, that we might grow from it, that we might be used of you in a very powerful way. Now, Lord, I pray that you will give the good words that I need. Help us, dear Father, to study and guide and bless now. In Christ we pray. Amen. It is interesting that I've been thinking about all this week how many different ways to present the gospel this morning. And it was funny, yesterday morning, about, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I guess, these words came to me, in the beginning. <coughs> now, as I was thinking on the words, in the beginning, I began to let these things rehearse in my mind. What does it mean about in the beginning? What is the application that is there? And then reality is, there's two different, contra, you know, two different concepts, if you will. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And those of us that are studying the creation series, we also notice that there is already the application to where that we see in the beginning with God, the truth of his matter. Now, it's interesting to me that the Hebrew word for in the beginning is Rashith. Now, I may have mispronounced it because it's Hebrew. Uh, I probably know a little bit more about the uh, Greek understanding, but Rashith. Rashith in itself is a whole word meaning in the beginning. And so when we take a look at the John Gospel where it says in the beginning was, in the beginning is in archaic. Now, I understand a little bit more about NRK because it is pointing back to a time when everything started. Now, 
what I have to be careful of is not to make this too complicated. Because the reality is, is that no matter how much that I may study, I want to bring it down to such a simplicity that we all have a good understanding of it. Not saying that you're not able to handle anything greater, because you are. But remember this, is that we're trying to reach out into a world that says, don't you realize that we're talking about not the beginning as you perceive it, but the reality of the beginning as God gave it. Now think about this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There was no form. There was no void. It says even then that when God came upon the face of the earth, before he made the first day, that the earth was about form and void. And the first thing he did was separate the light from the darkness. And when he made that separation, he called that the first day which meant that there was already the rotation of this mass that was out in space. Then we go into the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and every bit of it cultivates into one area in Genesis chapter 2. And if you will, let's take our Bibles. Let's go over there real quick. And in Genesis chapter 2, we see the, the greatest aspect of creation, and this was on the sixth day. Don't let anybody fool you. In fact, I made this statement the other day. I said, have you ever determined or have you ever thought about the fourth day when God created the fourth day, what he was doing? I mean, it says in the fourth day that, first of all, that they would be for signs and seasons. Now think about this for a moment. We know where the year comes from. The year takes, is the time that takes the planet that we live upon this earth to go all the way around the sun one time that equates to our year. Then it says uh, 28 days for a month, which meant how many times the rotation of the, the moon occurred around the, the earth, which was the 28-day period, or, if you will, the, the month period. The day is created by the rotation of the earth. One day equates to what rotation. Now, where do seven days come from? Now, think about that for a moment. Why do we have seven days? And that's because God created it. The only reason for that, that we have seven days, is because in six days God created everything, but on the seventh day he rested, not because he needed the rest, but to prove to man that he needed to have this day off. So in Genesis chapter 2, this is on the sixth day. Now I want you to look at this verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all of his work, which God hath created and made. These are the generations of heavens and in the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. Now did you notice what it said? There was still no man upon the earth. At that particular moment there was no man. Everything else was set, but there was no man. By the way, verse 4, if you'll notice, there's a paragraph emblem, <coughs> which shows to us that there's a new thought that's in place. But there went up a mist from the earth, and it watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man. This is the, the first aspect I want you to get this. 
do you know that when God formed man, he took and he created man especially? Now, all the other creatures, there's, there's a lot of them that, that have a tendency of um, uh, crawling around, if you will, everything from a bug on the ground to the bear, which can stand up, which can bow over and everything else. Uh, in fact, they're now saying that, uh, that, that one uh, Tyrannosaurus rex or whatever it is with the real small, short claws, they're now assuming it's something like a kangaroo and it hopped around instead of just uh, went around. We don't know. We weren't there. Okay, but let's put it this way. God knows everything. But when it came to man, he, he had stated in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, now let us create man in our image. Now think about this for a moment. So when God made man, he created man. He didn't speak man into existence. He created him. He molded him. He perfected him. And he said, this is now going to be the man after my image. This is going to be my creation. Now notice what else it says. Uh, and of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. So the reality is, is that when God breathed, he, instead of speaking life into existence, he breathed life into existence. Man was created with all the intelligence that God would want for him to have. And in fact, it takes a lot more for us to dedicate ourselves to know who this God is and to know a little bit more about it. Now think about this for a moment. When we read in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God, God does not explain himself. We know that God was already in existence. But what we don't know who is who that God is. Do you realize that that was made clear to us all the way over in John chapter 1, verse 1? Let's go back in and take a look at that. Let me get over here with you all. In John chapter 1, verse 1, I'll get over there. I'm trying to uh, take my time and it's beating me up. In John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. There's the spoken Word. Genesis 1, verse, uh, Genesis 1, 3 gives the indication that the Word was there. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. But here is the key, catch point. And all things were made by Him. Now, do you realize that it was the spoken Word of God that made everything happen? And God said, and God said, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be water separated from the waters. And God said, let there now be vegetation. And God said, let there now be lights in the heavens. Do you realize that everything that was spoken in Genesis chapter 1 is about Jesus Christ? So when we read in Genesis 1.26 where it says, let us create man in our image, that is God speaking directly about the man of God, that he is really, that's going to be the creator. Look what it says. And all things were made by him, and not anything was made that was made. Now this is the odd spot that I want us to look at. This is the beginning. So when God created man, he also created a situation to where no man could excuse himself. Let me explain this to you. Let's go, if you want, to the next slide, Brother Joe, and I want you to see what I'm talking about. In the very next slide, in the beginning, we see this ratio, we see this NRK, but let's look at the next slide, if you will, Brother Joe. 
in the very next slide, I want you to look at Genesis chapter 3, and let's go over there real quick, or, or you can just stay with me, either one, it doesn't matter. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, we see this particular statement, and notice the Lord doesn't speak this to a woman, he speaks this to the man, or to the serpent. How many people really understand that? He is saying this to the serpent. Look what it says in verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Who is the thee there? That is the serpent. I'm going to put an enmity between thee and between thy seed and her seed. In other words, all your demands are going to be there for everyone to partake of. And it's going to be an evil that is going to come against the seed that I have promised. Do you realize that when Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan, he was literally fulfilling the scripture? Satan in all the And I want you to see this. He dedicated himself by saying, at this very moment, and, and, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Do you realize at that moment, Jesus Christ was demonstrating upon himself what he was going to do? You know, for this idea that God made it up along the way, that, well, let's see, how am I going to redeem people? Well, let's see. I guess I'll just devote myself to it. That goes against the contrariness of the entire Word of God. Because we believe that God had the power to do as He sees fit. In Genesis chapter 2, we read how that God said, Of every tree of the garden thou might freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for when, He didn't say if, thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die when you eat of it. You're going to eat of this, Adam. I know you're going to eat of it. And I have already dedicated myself to your redemption. And so for this reason, everything we see is the promise that is going to be fulfilled. Look what it says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. I put some of these verses up on the board to kind of give you an idea what I'm doing with all my studies. But when I bring these things to you all, I want you to know that these are already in place for us to see. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we read these particular verses. It says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Do you realize that it took all many years to show us what was going to happen? A virgin was going to have to conceive. A virgin was going to have to be the one that is going to bring forth the Son of God. That's where her seed's going to come in. And bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And later on we are told in Matthew chapter 1, Emmanuel means God with us. Now let's go ahead and go to the next slide. And I want you to see this so very powerfully as well. The remarkable thing that we see in Genesis chapter 3 and in Isaiah chapter 7 is finally fulfilled in Luke and I want you to see this. This is the beautiful passage in Luke chapter 1, and let's go down to verse 30. <coughs> Everybody go there, if you will. Luke chapter 1, verse 30. I don't know why my vo voice just got dry. <laughs> and the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, 
Thou shalt conceive in thy woman, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord shall give, uh, and the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Now, once again, all these things are coming into place. If if you don't pay any other particular attention, I want you to think about what this is saying. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now, he's going to reign. That's the promise. Thank you so much. Appreciate that, sister. There shall be no end. And Mary said unto him, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Thank you so much. Do you realize that there are so many people that are now wanting to say, oh, but, but that, that can't be. I, I don't know anyone. I mean, even the ESV and the CEB and the MIC and the KEY. Anyway, all these other ones that are out there, they want to lessen the, de the, the, the promise of this virgin woman. For Mary to be a virgin, and I think one of the discussions that came down was, how old was Mary when she gave birth to Christ? We don't know. We assume she was about 17. But the thing that was amazing was that both Mary and Joseph had kept themselves pure and holy against that day. Now think about this for a moment. They were particularly protecting themselves. They were watching over themselves. They were doing all the things that they wanted to be a righteous and holy couple before the, me the message of Christ. Look what else it says. And he shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said unto him, How shall these things be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost, this is the amazing part, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, the holy thing which thou shalt be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now, I want you to get this. This is so very important. Do you realize that Mary became pregnant though her womb was sealed? Now, let that sink in. She became pregnant because her womb was sealed. Now, that's pretty amazing. But even what's more amazing is the man that she was going to, you know, come in contact with. Let's go back, if you will, to, uh, well, I got this right here. And the angel said unto her, Mary, thou hast found favor with God. That's the one thing I want us to see on this. But more than anything, I want us to go back to Matthew chapter 1. And in Matthew chapter 1, I want us to get a little bit more about the detail of this man that we know as Joseph. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide, if you will, Brother, jo Brother Joe. In Matthew chapter 1, we begin to see in verse 19 what it says. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. privately. Now, stop there for a moment. What kind of man would see fit to take a woman like Mary and to literally bring it into his mind that I want to see that she is taken care of. I, I wrote some of these things down because I tried to do everything I can to understand who God was preparing to be the earthly leader of Jesus Christ. 
He was going to be the one to teach Jesus. He was going to be the one to watch over Jesus. But what's interesting in verse 20, he thought about how to put her away. And while he put these things, and while he thought on these things, behold the angel of the Lord. Who is that? I don't know. And the reality is, you don't either. Was it Gabriel? I don't know. Was it Theophany? I doubt it, because Jesus was already in the womb of Mary. But the reality is, it doesn't matter. God has many angels, and he can distribute the message in many ways. But he appeared unto Joseph in a dream, and he said, and, and saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. Now stop here for a moment. At that very moment, Joseph was breaking with tradition. Now, let me explain this to you. What do I mean that Joseph was breaking with tradition? Do you realize for everything to be in order, even in Nazareth, because this was a devout Jew, there would have to be the building of this wedding chamber right next to the house. And so the, the, the purpose of the wedding chamber would be to make sure that everything was there. There would be the six days of feasting or the seven days of feasting on the outside. The people would be celebrating the coming of this marriage and everything that was going in. But Joseph determined to put Mary away privately. In other words, think about some of the things. He was a kind man. Now, how many of you men, now watch this, I'm, I'm, I really want an honest opinion out of you guys. When you were getting ready to marry this beautiful lady that you are married to right now, and she came to you and she said, I'm pregnant with, with God's child. How many of you men, and I want to show of hands, a physical show of hands, how many of you men would believe your wife at that moment? Oh, thankfully, not one hand went up. Yeah. I'm glad you think that. How many of you men would wonder, why wasn't she faithful to me? See, Joseph had all of these things in his mind. You know, Mary is, she doesn't demonstrate this looseness. I'm not marrying her because she is a, a harlot. I'm not marrying her because I've got a command from God. But why are these things happening? The kindness of him said, I don't want anything to happen to Mary. That's kindness. I don't want anything to happen to this woman. And there's a movie that is out right now, and, I, and it's about Mary, Mary's uh, deliverance of uh, Jesus Christ. And the one thing is, the whole town knew that she was pregnant. I don't know if Mary, if the whole town knew it or not. I don't think so. Because at the moment that she returned, she would have been about three, maybe four months pregnant by the time this was written. Was she showing? I doubt it. But look what we find is that he was thinking on these things when the Holy Spirit brought up. Number two, he was benevolent. How do I know that? When it says that he wanted to put her away privately or privately, privately, what he was really saying was that I, I want it to be an amazing feat for this to happen. I don't want anything to occur. I don't want to be a damage to her. But it took the right man to say, I will marry her and not know her until after Jesus is born. Look what else it says. It says that he was a secret man. 
You know, one of the things that I have discovered is finding someone that doesn't want to talk about every little detail. It really disturbs me how many people in this world which we live in today want to destroy each other even amongst Christian people. If, you're part, if, you, are, if, if you are aware of someone's downfall, keep it to yourself. Who knows whether God wants you to open it up or not? Look what else it says. It says that he was not only a private man, he was a secret man, he was benevolent, and he was kind. But here's the thing that was interesting. He broke from custom. And when I say that he broke from custom, it says that this was done because he was going to fulfill all that God would say for, for him to do. Look at verse 21. And, he shall bring, and she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. By the way, how many of us know what Jesus means? It literally means Jehovah saves. How many of y'all knew that? It means Jehovah saves. And he shall save their people from their sins. But even then we see the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord where, uh, the, uh, by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is interpreted God with us. Now here's the thing that's amazing. Every time that we turn around, we don't understand what it means that God is with us. We don't understand it. But I want us to get this from a perspective. Now, the thing is, Brother Michael Card, and I've been invited to, uh, to he, he does a, an annual cruise, I've got to find out where it is. Uh, a couple years ago, Brother Mike McCartney, who uh, came in and sang for us on a Wednesday night, Brother Mike McCartney came in and uh, he was telling me that Michael Card wants you to come and join him uh, in his services one time on board cruise. And I might do that sometime just, just because I enjoy the conversation with this individual. But he wrote a song, and Brother Joe, if you will, go ahead and key it up. Brother Michael Card is the man's name, and he wrote it on a very, very interesting perspective. We'll have to get rid of this slide a second. And uh, the name of the song is uh, it's called... Joseph's song. And I want you to hear this just for a moment. A little bit unusual.
pretty amazing, isn't it? You know, it's a, one of the things I love about men like Michael Card, who have a great ability to write music, is how powerful it is. But there's one other place that I'd like for us to look at today, and uh, one more video I'd like to show you all as well. I want us to go right now to, um, if you will, to Malachi chapter 5, verse 2. And in Malachi chapter 5, verse 2, and don't worry, i got plenty more materials that I want to look at today. But in, let me get, see if I can find it here. There we go. There we go. Malachi chapter 5, verse 2. And it says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little amongst the thousands of Judah, Yet out of these shall come forth unto me that it is even the ruler of Israel, whose going forth have been up from old, from everlasting. One of the things that I want us to look at is something that is so important. This is found in 2 Samuel. Let's go to 2 Samuel. And I want us to go to chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to go down to verse 8. <clears throat> now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat. I want you, if you haven't underlined the word sheep coat, because I never understood sheep coat. I never understood it. I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep to be the ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies there, uh, out of the sight, and have made thee a great name. Like unto the name of the great men, they are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for all my people, Israel, and dwell in a place of their own, and move no more, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as foretold. And since the time of that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee all that, that are in thy days. And when thy days be fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and I will set up seed after thee, and shall provide out of thy bowels, and establish his kingdom." One other slide I want you to see. This is actually from uh, a Dr. Ezra. And so, Brother Joe, if you will, I want you to go ahead, and then when we're finished with this, we'll conclude. Thank you. 
Israel two methods. This was not a simple journey. They were faced with dreadful raiders, flesh floods, and unpredictable weather. I know how nervous I was when the time came for our first time to be born. Before birth, every mom works tirelessly to prepare the way for the baby to have an easy and comfortable entry. Try to imagine bearing the promise inside and be thrown into such a devastating turn of events as a pregnant woman. But from our vantage point in history, what seemed to be a disastrous turn for Mary and Joseph worked out in fulfilling prophecy and give glory to God. I know there's been times in my life where I couldn't understand why things were happening the way they were, only to look back years later to see God's plan in the midst my trial. So let's ask ourselves, if the decree from Caesar never occurred, would Mary and Joseph have traveled to Bethlehem? So clearly, this trial turned out to perfectly fulfilled prophecy. But why did the Messiah need to be born in Bethlehem? Let's turn to Micah 5 2, which reads, But you, Bethlehem and Prophet, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you Come forth to me, the one to be ruled in Israel, whose going forth are from the old, from everlasting. Also in Mike 4 8 we read, In you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. So the future king, the Messiah, will be from not just the town of Bethlehem, but much more specifically, Bethlehem and Prophet, the agricultural zone, and the gun ended, the tower of the throne. Eusebius, the bishop of Caesarea during the 4th century, wrote in his book, and I quote, The gun ended was located one Roman mile east of Bethlehem. And it's here, due east across from the valley of Bethlehem, that we find the ruins of the Tower of the Flock mentioned by Micah. But what was this Tower of the Flock about? And why did the Messiah need to be born in an agricultural zone of Bethlehem? This was the field of David, but much deeper than being David's stomping ground was what David set up here as the king of Israel. As David set his heart to bring the tabernacle to Jerusalem, and later, make preparations for the temple, he set in order this field to raise the sacrificial flock for the priests. He gave his ancestral land to be dedicated to the special flock, the most looked-after field in all of Israel. You can see more of these shepherd's tower here than anywhere else in the world. But why so many towers? Because the shepherds were not raising your average sheep. If a bone was broken, or any blemish at all was found, the lamb was considered unkosher to sacrifice. They had to perfectly guard these sheep. The shepherds who received the announcement from heaven were the very same ones in charge of the possible land. How amazing that it was these very shepherds that looked after Yeshua that holy night. Our apostle land, Yeshua the Messiah, was placed in a manger and wrapped in swollen clothes, not just in 
Messiah. And not just to show the humble entry of the Messiah to the earth, but to foreshadow the work he was sent to do. Those words in Luke's gospel, spoken to the shepherds, were bursting forth with deep meaning. According to rabbinic tradition, the priest would come every high holy day from Jerusalem to Mingazizim, the priestly tower of the frog, to inspect the land before the big day. They would place the land in a manger, and after inspection, the land would be wrapped in swarming cloth and brought to Jerusalem for the sacrifice. They wrapped the land instead of leaning it along and to be sure that nothing would happen to the land in transit to the temple. If the land wriggled out of the priest's hand, that Passover would be ruined. So there was no room for chance. So Yeshua, born in the agricultural center, foretold by Micah, because he wanted to be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He was wrapped in the same swamp and laid in the manger, looked after by the same shepherd that raised and cared for the Passover and atonement sacrifice. We can see this beautiful tapestry of prophecy fulfilled in our time, but I'm sure in the moment, Mary and Joseph were just trying to make the best of an extremely difficult trial. They probably were struggling with doubt and fear, but God was weaving through their trials a story of redemption and salvation of the land that was slain from the creation of the world. So my prayer for you is that you see the faithfulness of God in this season, that in this difficult time, God may be writing a beautiful story of redemption for your trial. And I pray you are encouraged with this beautiful story of God's amazing love. Amazing, isn't it? How many of us have ever put together all of that at the very beginning? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? The Lamb of God, as declared by John in chapter 1 of John 20 and verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Isn't that special? All right, I pray the Lord will bless. We're going to pick up from here. The Lord's willing on our next service. Let's bow in a closing word of prayer. Father, again, for your blessings, we pray that you will guide us and lead us. Help us to, Father, to be faithful in all things. For it's in Christ we pray. Amen. We're dismissed.